Throughout the year, we hear proclaimed from this pulpit a series of scripture readings. And almost all year, our first reading is from the Old Testament, stories of the great patriarchs and prophets who came before the time of Christ. But during the 50 days of the Easter season, concluding with the explosive feast of Pentecost, our first reading on Sunday is always from the Acts of the Apostles. Well, why is this so? Well, during the Easter season, the church wants us to reflect on the spread of the gospel through the apostles after the resurrection of Jesus and on the mission and on the message of the early church. For me personally, these readings convincingly demonstrate the truth that we profess in the creed every Sunday when we say, I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And we see too in the words of Jesus in today's gospel, just how this is to come about. I will ask the Father, the Lord says, and he will give you another advocate to be with you always, the Spirit of Truth. The Holy Spirit, poured out at Pentecost, then becomes the guarantor of the church's fidelity to the truth and of its fidelity to Christ. And this is not an isolated statement. We can easily recall as well those very dramatic words that our Lord spoke to Peter at Caesarea Philippi. You are rock. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In this passage, the promise of the office of Peter, the office of the Pope, is made and history itself itself proves the veracity, the truth of the words of Christ, as all other institutions crumble before it. I will build my church, Jesus says. I will build my church. Not Peter will build it, or the apostles will build it, or the laity, or anyone else who opens up a Bible and decides they know the best way to start a church. No, Jesus builds the church. And therefore, the church is the only divine institution on earth. How stunningly this is demonstrated in the Acts of the Apostles. Even before Pentecost, when the Spirit was poured out on the whole church, Peter got up and in great confidence says, we must have a successor to Judas who hung himself. And so Matthias was elected and joined the apostolic band. One holy Catholic and apostolic church. And this pattern has continued for 2,000 years as each deacon, priest, or bishop is ordained by a bishop who is ordained by another bishop who is ordained by another bishop going all the way back to the apostles. It's what we call apostolic succession. And it was demonstrated at the very beginning of the church. We just heard last week of the decision made by the apostles that they would take seven men and set them aside and pray over them and lay hands upon them And we see in this the origin of the diaconate. This Sunday we have a follow-up to that reading in our first reading today, in which we see Philip, one of those first seven, going to Samaria to proclaim the good news of Christ and to baptize those who came to believe. But then we see, 
something very intriguing, that it was necessary to send for the apostles, to bring in the big guns, if you will, for them to come all the way from Jerusalem, to come and lay hands on the newly baptized converts so that they could receive the Holy Spirit. Well, we just read how Philip was healing people and casting out demons. Why didn't he lay hands on them? Didn't he have the Spirit? Well, of course, we all do. But we see that even in the very early church, there is a God-ordained order that has been faithfully followed and practiced by the church from those apostolic times. Then as now, deacons can preach and baptize, but the laying on of hands and what we now call the sacrament of confirmation is reserved to the bishop or to priests who are delegated by him. Just about 10 or 11 days ago, I had the wonderful privilege of serving Mass with Bishop Matano at the Confirmation Liturgy at Sacred Heart in Rochester. I wasn't standing there wishing I could do the confirming. No, but rejoicing that here in our midst was a a successor to the apostles who, according to the holy will of God and the movement of the Holy Spirit, had that power to give the Holy Spirit to those young people. I get more jazz out of knowing that we are acting in fidelity to the truth, to the apostolic origin of the church, and to the power of the Holy Spirit who leads the church into all truth. Jesus builds his church, not me. You know, I I know deacons who say that they wish that um, they could hear confessions and anoint the sick. Um, I, I, I would rather say, no, the church is set up according to the will of Christ. And that's what I can rejoice in, not in the stuff that I can do. In the book of Acts, we also see the Catholicity of the church. The word Catholic means universal. And we see at Pentecost when the division and the hostility that began at the Tower of Babel, when when everyone's speech was confused, was defeated by the unifying power of the Holy Spirit, when, as we'll hear in two weeks, everyone understood the message of Peter in their own language. We see that that's the day when the church became Catholic, universal, and all flesh heard of the saving acts of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We read of the early church meeting together in prayer, in the breaking of the bread, the Eucharist, meeting in fellowship, in the sharing of material resources, in the care of widows, and we see in these sacramental and charitable acts the holiness of the church and the oneness of the church. We find in the book of Acts, we'll hear it in two weeks, the statement that the people were gathered in that room And they persevered in prayer as though they had the same mind. Such was the unity of the followers of Christ. We, we are members of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And we have the awesome privilege of being Catholic. We must be joyful in the realization of the blessings that we have so joyful that others will notice, that others will be drawn to the faith. Our Catholic faith should fill us with hope and joy. 
a hope and joy that manifests itself in acts of love and of mercy. And this is not a matter of pride. Remember, our faith tells us that Christ builds the church. If you're invited to the palace of a king, a house built by someone else, it doesn't fill you with pride, but it fills you with awe and wonder that you have the privilege of being invited there. So it should be with our sense of of privilege, of blessing, that we are part of the Catholic Church. We are in the house built by the greatest of all kings, Christ the King, Christ the King. Live, love, and proclaim your Catholic faith boldly, not arrogantly, but with a burden for souls so that all the nations would experience the saving power of God. On Thursday, we will celebrate the ascension of our Lord into heaven, 40 days after Easter. We'll hear of his being lifted up into heaven and of his charge that he made to the disciples to go out and make disciples of all nations. And yes, that was a charge at that moment to the apostles, but we've all received that charge as well. Live, love, and proclaim your Catholic faith. Allow your life to attract others to Christ. The nations will be one to Christ, not because of a great program that somebody sets up, but because others want what we have, truth, goodness, beauty, hope, joy, love, mercy, and the promise of eternal life. Do not be afraid to allow your light to shine before others. Pentecost is approaching. Pray for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon you, not just the church in general, but upon you personally. Pray for that outpouring. Ask him to make you an instrument of his peace, of his love, of his truth and mercy. And remember and live the words of St. Peter, the first pope. We heard them in our second reading today. He exhorts us, always be ready to give an explanation to anyone who asks you for a reason for your hope, but do so with gentleness and with reverence. For if you truly appreciate and live your faith, you cannot help but share it with those who are awaiting the full life of God in Christ Jesus our Lord.